All right, well, I am excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation, Pastor Matt Bell. I'm glad to have my two oldest kids here with me. I have four children. I'm sad that my wife is not able to be here. Um, I'm partly not sad that my two youngest are, are not here, uh, my eight and four-year-old. Glad to be able to spend time with my two teenage, eight and five-year-old. My son just turned five, my youngest. But I have my son, Joel, who will be 17 this next month. And then um, my daughter, Eliana, who is not here at the moment, but she's 15 years old. So I am glad to be here. Uh, you know, maybe one day when I'm fully grown, I'll be able to have a beard like Pastor Mike. Uh, I do have one question for you. I was thinking, while well, I was so distracted by your beard. And I kept thinking, I have a question for you. Do you ever lose anything in there? All the time. You keep, you keep stuff in there. It's like a storage compartment. All of us men who cannot grow beards, we are all jealous. So let's get to work. I only have 30 minutes. You can start the timer. I see it up there. Let's get going. I'm not even going to pray. We're just going to go. You know, perspective is important. And when we're thinking about the kingdom of God, and Pastor Matt gave a definition of the kingdom of God, and then we just heard from Pastor Mike the connection between the kingdom of God and God's law, I think our perspective is important. My, my assignment this morning is to talk about the kingdom of God and the church and, and how we are to respond in the kingdom. What does that look like in the church and through the church? But perspective in every area of our life is important. It's important uh, as a Christian to have the right perspective. It's important as a husband or a wife to have the right perspective. We need to see things correctly through the lens with, with which God would have us evaluate life and his kingdom. So perspective is important. And so through the perspective of the fact that God's kingdom is alive and is ruling and reigning right now in all aspects of our world and our life and the church, what is the proper perspective that we should have concerning how we as Christians and the church, how we as Christians and the church live? How should we live? What should our perspective be? So that's the lens with which we're going to look at. And again, uh, we are going to look at Matthew 28, uh, 16 through 20. Uh, and so let's just read it. And this is the Great Commission. It says, Jesus said, now, or, or now the 11, uh, we're going to get a little running start here. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, and, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How should we see this? What should our perspective be based upon what Pastor Matt and Pastor Mike just brought out? What should our perspective be? I have two realities, two perspectives and one promise. Two perspectives and one promise. Here's the first perspective. The one who defeated death has all authority. And Pastor Matt explained that to us. The one who defeated death has all authority. Look back to the text, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority has been given to me on heav in heaven and on earth. It's been given to me. So, so who has the authority? Christ does. And when you think about authority, much of life is centered around authority. You think about most areas of our life. If you work for someone, it's about the authority that works over you. If you are in a marriage, it's about that, that the authority, that structure that God has set into the home. If you're a, a teenager sitting in here, you are under authority. 
If you're an employee, you work for someone. If you're a boss, you, you are called to wield the authority that God has given you in a humble way. So much of life is about authority. And Jesus makes it clear, and he's telling his disciples at the beginning of his commission to them to go out into the world, he says, I want you to know something. You need to understand, you need this perspective in your life. The perspective is, before you go, you need to know that I have all authority, and it has been given me in heaven and on earth. I have all authority. I have it all. And that's the lens with which you should see this commission, which you should see your life. The basis of everything we see in the Great Commission is on the reality of Christ's authority. Uh, it's funny, Pastor Matt talked about Jesus, uh, people saying um, they want to make Jesus the Lord of their life. Uh, in my notes, you, you, I have here, you often hear people say, I've made Jesus the Lord of my life. And, and I think that's good. That's what it means to be a Christian. But the truth is this. Jesus is Lord over everyone. Whether they make him Lord in their life or not, he is ruling and reigning over every one of his creations. That's the biblical reality. That word authority that Jesus says he has all of is from the Greek word exousia, and it means power, authority to rule, jurisdiction, right to judge. And when you think about right to judge, jurisdiction, authority to rule, I often think about earthly authorities. And, and we watch every four years, every two years, we watch people fight for authority, don't we? Fight for earthly authority. They will, they will go to great lengths to, to, to gain authority, but then to keep authority. They will, they will smear their opponent uh, through, 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 through politics and through political means, and they will, they will seek to undermine people, and they will lie, they will cheat, they will steal, and they hope they don't ever get caught. But what they're fighting over is limited earthly authority. It's authority that ends. It's authority that has, that has an end date on it. But Christ has all authority. His, his authority, as Pastor Matt talked about, how far does it reach? How far does it extend? Well, the text tells us it is in heaven and on earth. It is in heaven, but it is on earth. It is expansive. The one who defeated death has all authority. And the resurrection of Jesus was the final demonstration to his disciples that he had all authority. He defeated death. The one who defeated death has all authority. When you, when you look at Jesus' authority, he demonstrated it in the Gospels, didn't he? When we see his life, Jesus had authority in his teaching. Matthew 7 says that he didn't teach like the Pharisees. He taught as one who had authority. Jesus had authority over sickness. We see this in Matthew 8. Jesus had authority over nature. You see this also in the Gospel of Matthew and in some of the other Gospels where Jesus had Control over nature, peace be still. He calmed the winds and the waves. Jesus had, had authority to raise the dead, John 11 with Lazarus. Jesus had authority over Satan and his demons. He cast out a, a demon spirits and cast them into a, 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 a group of pigs that drowned in the water. Jesus had authority even to raise himself from death. And we see confirmation of this authority throughout Scripture. As we've heard earlier, we could go all over the Bible... And we could see confirmation of the comprehensive, expansive authority of Christ. But one section that stands out to me of the authority of Christ is this. is Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore, speaking of Christ, God has highly exalted him. 
God has highly exalted him and given him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and where? On earth. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so the truth of Christ's authority is this, confess now that Jesus is Lord or you will confess later when it's too late. But every knee will bow to the comprehensive, absolute authority of Christ. That's the perspective that Jesus is is commissioning his disciples with. I love Colossians 2. I I thought about skipping over this because I only have 22 minutes left, but I I just love Colossians 2. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him... All things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, Christ may be preeminent. Don't you love that about Colossians 2? Don't you love that about our Savior? That in him, all things hold together. I love what John 1 says. I think this is the picture of what it means in Colossians 2, that he holds all things together. In John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there was nothing that was made that was not made without Christ. He is the author of creation. And in him... All things are held together. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Here today, right now, Jesus is ruling and reigning. He is the only rightful king. Every other earthly king is an imposter. Jesus is not fighting for authority like earthly politicians. Jesus is the one who created all things. And he is before all things. And he holds it all together. And listen, he is not in a cosmic battle with Satan. Do you believe that? Sometimes we we, we run our ministries like we think he's in a battle with Satan, don't we? He's not in a battle with Satan. We, we, We fight Arguments and lofty opinions that are raised up against the knowledge of God. That, that's spiritual warfare. We're trying to destroy arguments that are raised up against the knowledge that Christ is king. But Satan, God's not in a, Jesus is not in a cosmic battle over Satan. Sometimes we lead our lives or our ministries like that, that, you know, Jesus, Jesus is getting a punch. And sometimes Satan gets, a, gets an uppercut or a right cross every now and then and wins a few victories. No, Christ's victory on the cross and through the resurrection was a final death blow to the, the authority of Satan. And the truth is that ultimately the battle was over before it started. Have you ever been to a high school football game before? And you had one team on one side and you had a team on the other side. And and the team that you were there to watch, your home team, they were the the little school. They were the school that, you know, they just happened to be there. But then on the other side, you had the team that has seven or eight five-star recruits that are going to play college football one day, D1 football one day. But your team, the team that just happened to be there, None of them are going to play college football, not even junior college, right? 
and the coach for the little team, before the game, he's trying to pump up his team, and he's telling them, you can do it. You can win. But you know, in the back of his mind, he knows it's over before it got started. He knows. He's, he's just hoping in the back of his mind, and if he's a praying man, he's praying, oh, God, protect them. Just let them get out of this game alive. Why? Because it was over before it started. And that's the reality of Christ's rule and reign. It was over before it got started. Christ is not in a cosmic battle with Satan. So the, the question as we quickly move on here. How does this reality of Christ's ultimate authority, this perspective that Christ sends out his disciples with, before he commissions them, he wants them to see this. I have all authority. It's been given me. How should this impact my life and my church and my ministry? Well, here's how it should impact you. We do not have a message or a mission that is losing. And when you look around here today, you can be tempted to believe that the message of the gospel of the kingdom is losing. But it's not. And how do I know it's not losing? It's not losing because it can't lose. We have a message that cannot lose. We have a message that will always win. We, we are not like Nick Saban who, who, who is on the top of the mountain for a season and then for a couple years he gets off the mountain and Georgia wins a couple titles. No, no, no. We win all the time. LSU is going to win some soon. Hang in there. The truth is, is, is we win down here. We don't lose. We win down here because we share in Christ's victory. Amen? You know the section, Matthew 16. Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The truth is, it will not prevail because it cannot prevail. Amen? This is the first perspective that Christ is wanting his disciples to have that we must have as Christians and as Christian ministers. He has all authority. Second perspective is this. The one with all authority sends us out in his name to preach his message. The one with all authority sends us out in his name to preach his message. Look back to the text. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All authority, he tells them, has been given to me. And so on the basis of that reality, of that perspective, go. You know, the command is not to go. We should be going all the time. The command is to make disciples. The command is to make disciples, right? He says, on that basis, the basis of my authority, make disciples. Go in my name and preach my message, the message of the kingdom. What, what does Paul tell us in Corinthians? We are ambassadors of Christ. I mean, just stop and think about that. Every time I ponder that section of the Apostle Paul, where he says we are ambassadors of Christ, that Christ is making his appeal through us. And we plead with people, be reconciled to God. Can you imagine that? That Christ would ever allow us to be his representative. But this is what he's telling his first disciples before his ascension. He says, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. And I'm sending you out in my authority, in my name. And it is my message that you must preach. And I'm going to use you to be a spokesman for me. It's my message. We're called to preach his message and not our version of it. We're called to preach his message, not our version of it. We don't get to change the message, alter the message, make it our own, twist it. 
alter it, change it, water it down. Right? You know, it could be said that unbelievers have consistently tried to silence Jesus in his message. Wouldn't you say that? I mean, you just look at Jesus' life as he walked the earth. Is that not true? What was the consistent mission of his enemies? was to silence Jesus. You know, in Judea, in Israel, in the region, they weren't necessarily concerned about the miracles, though the miracles made, great, made much of him, but it was what he said that they tried to stop. Before Abraham was, I am to the Pharisees in John chapter 8. That's what they wanted to stop. Right? So it could be said that unbelievers and haters of God have consistently tried to silence Jesus in his message. But what I find is shocking, that's, that's not shocking, what I find is shocking is those who would consider themselves believers or disciples of Jesus or preachers who seek to silence Jesus. They do the same thing, they try, and they do it through this, they muzzle his words, they tone him down, they sand down the rough edges of the message of Christ. And this is nothing new, I think we've seen a concerted effort over the last 30 to 40 years to tone down Jesus for the sake of appealing to haters of God. To appealing to non-believers, to make Jesus less offensive, to make him more appealing, to make him more relevant. And, and what, 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 what do we do? How, how, how do you sand down the rough edges of Jesus? Well, you remove some words, some very key words. You remove the word repent. You remove the word sin. It's his message. It's not ours. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 1.14, repent and believe in the gospel, Jesus said. Repent and believe in the gospels, but, but to tone down the rough edges, we remove repentance, we remove sin, we remove believe, we remove the word judgment. The idea is this, and here's the idea, it's a subtle idea. The idea is if the world would see all the good things that God can do for them, then they would want to believe. We even come up with this idea that people can, can, can belong before they believe. You can't belong into any family until you believe, right? You can't belong in the family of God. Uh, uh, John tells us that, that, that the only way to be, be given the right to be called a child of God is to believe in the name of Jesus. You must believe and then you can belong, right? The world would see all the good things that God can do for them. Then they'll, then they'll believe. We, we've twisted the scripture. The goodness of God is what leads men to repentance. What, is it, what, what does that actually mean? The goodness of God leads men to repentance. It means that God is good, that he has not instantly judged us for our sins. God is continually, listen, he's continually good to all of his creation that in that he does not instantly judge us for our sins. And that goodness is what should lead men to fall in repentance to a holy God. And may we never change that message. This is what we try to tell people. Look, God wants to make your life so much better on this earth. Jesus is really about practical ways to improve your marriage, your kids, your finances. And by removing offensive language, by toning Jesus down, by making the front door as wide as possible with as little requirements as we can, here's the risk that we run. By changing his message. Again, he's give, he has all the authority. He's the one that's in charge. It's his kingdom. It's his rule. It's his reign. We are simply an ambassador. We're simply ambassadors that are bearing his flag with his name. So we have no right to change his message. And so what we run the risk of is when we tone the message down, when we sand down the rough edges, when we change the message, we run the risk of becoming, of creating church attenders or Jesus sympathizers, but not actual 
disciples. Go and make disciples, right? And we create cultural Christians. Don't you see that today? You see it in your churches, don't you? I see it in my church, the church that I pastor. And we see it all over the place. You have people that are culturally Christian. The point is this. Here's the point as we, as we transition here. We can have confidence that wherever we go, if we will preach the gospel of the kingdom, here's what we can be confident. The gospel of the kingdom will have its effect. Because we are simply the delivery system that God has chosen to use. And we have no authority to change his message. He's commissioned us to preach his message. And what is, what is, his, what is his message? His message is, 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 is man's true sinful condition. God is holy, man is sinful. It's, it's a message of repentance. Jesus preached repentance. Jesus preached against easy believism. If you want to come after me, you must take up your cross and follow me. Jesus preached that a person can be, must be born again not by works but by faith. And Jesus called everyone to come to him, all who would listen and all who were willing. This is what he preached. And we're just the messengers. It's really not about us. I, I love the fact that it's not about us because here's the reality. 1 Corinthians tells us this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Amen. Aren't you glad that God uses foolish vessels? He uses weak vessels like us because it's not about us. It's about his message. His message does all the work. And that's a perspective that we cannot let go of as missionaries, as pastors, as Christians. He has ultimate rule and authority. He sends us out in his name. And we are called to represent him. And may we not miss the point. May we not miss the point. Have you ever missed the point in something? Have you ever been to a wedding where the preacher misses the point? Have you ever been to a wedding where a preacher misses the point? I've been to weddings and it, it aggravates me to no end. You got a bride and a groom up there, and you got a preacher up there that thinks he's just there to put on a comedy show. And he's telling joke after joke and the sacredness and the solemnness of the moment, the fact that, that this is a holy moment where two are going to become one, and in that marriage reflect the, the triune nature of God. And he's up there cracking jokes. So, or, or you get the preachers that get, that, that get up there and they think it's their time to preach a, a three-point, 45-minute message on the gospel because you get every non-believer saved at, at a wedding. And again, I'm not against preaching the gospel at a wedding, but the point is to get somebody married, right? May, may we not be those preachers that miss the point. We are simply a mouthpiece. And if we will just open our mouth and preach the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom message will do its work. It may, it may empty your pews for a season, right? Because the message is going to divide, it's going to separate, it's going to separate from those who want to be cultural Christians, from those who truly want to be disciples. But the power is in the gospel. It's not in your persuasiveness. It's not in your ability. It's not in my ability to convince people. I can't convince a sinner to repent. I can only preach the message and plead with him. It's the spirit of God who leads men to repentance. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. What is the power of God unto salvation? The gospel, the message of the kingdom. 
I have been given all authority in heaven on, and, and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Christ is saying this is a perspective you must have. It's not about your authority, your ability. It's my authority. My authority is comprehensive, and I have total victory. And if we as a church can see that, then when we go out in his name and in his authority and preach his message, then the kingdom will be built. And people will come, and I love what Pastor Matt said there, when people willfully submit to the reign of Christ in faith and obedience to his word, then the kingdom of God will be manifested. Amen? Our confidence is in the gospel, and the Holy Spirit works through this simple, clear gospel message. I love 1 Corinthians 1. It says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Amen. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. Every you will always have signs seekers and philosophy seekers. They want, they want the signs and they want the miracles and, and you'll have ones that want the philosophy. Uh, do, do a little dance for me. Do a little move for me. Make me, motivate me through, through, through what you can do, the signs you can perform, and, 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 and talk deep. You always have those who want you to talk deep, go deep. They want to question everything, right? But it's really just about a simple gospel message. God's holy man is sinful. If you don't repent, you're going to die in your sins and spend an eternity in hell. And the free, gifts, the free gift of God is salvation through Christ. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. So, so, so two perspectives. Christ has all authority. Second perspective, he sends us out in his authority to preach his message. And may we never twist it and make it our own and alter it and think we got to help him out with his message. Oh, God, we just got to help you out, God. If you want to put, put it so hard, maybe people, maybe we'd be filling churches more, Right? But, but, but here's, the, here's, here's that's the two perspectives. Here's the promise. The one with all authority promises to be with us always. Isn't that good news? Look back at the text. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. To the end of the age. Four minutes and 36 seconds. Here we go. Teaching them to observe all I've commanded a little side note, we go in his name, we preach his message, the gospel saves those who believe, and what do we do? We teach them what God has commanded. We teach them the law of God. We teach what God has commanded. That's called discipleship. But notice, look back at verse 20. Behold, I am with you always. What does that word behold mean? What's the word behold mean? It's a very strong word. It's a bold word. Behold is a bold word. Word. Behold means this. It means look up. Look up. Listen closely. It's, it, it, the word behold means to call attention to a detail. Look up. Listen closely to this detail. This is a, a vital detail. I've told you. I've told you. I have all authority. I've told you. Go in my name. I've told you. Make disciples. But wait. Before you go, look up. Look at me. Look at me. If you're in, the, in your seats, look at me. If you're falling asleep, wake up, look, pay attention. Some of you in the field, your head has been hanging low. Some of you in your ministry, your head's been hanging low. Your head's been down because you've been discouraged and you've been overwhelmed and you're looking for the fruit and you can't find it. 
and you're struggling, you're overwhelmed in your marriage, overwhelmed in your ministry, and you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders, the Lord of the church is clapping his hands today, and he's saying, look up, behold, listen closely. This is the most vital point of information that you need to have today, disciples, before you go back out into the field. Here's the most vital point of information you need to know. You need to know that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you. And can you imagine the disciples, what they were thinking? You remember Jesus told them, I'm going away. And they were like, you're going away? No, 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 no. No, 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 you're supposed, to, you're supposed to do something right here, right now. And, one of, and two of us, we want to sit on one, one on your right and one on your left. And we want to be a part of your kingdom now. You can't be going away. And so they must have been confused. And he says he'll be with them always. What did Jesus mean that he'd be with them always? I think what he meant was what he told them later, which was that it is to your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the promise of the Father will not come. And how is it that the Lord goes with you each and every day in your ministry, in your mission field, in the work that he's called you to? How does he go with you? He goes with you through the power of the Holy Spirit that is in you to fulfill the call and the task that God has appointed you to. That's how he goes with us. Jesus is with his disciples always through the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So look up today. Look up, listen closely to the call of your Father, to the call of your Savior, who's commissioned you to go in his authority, in his name. Don't twist his message. Just preach the simple gospel message. Have confidence in it that the gospel of the kingdom will be advanced in the lives of those who have ears to hear. Amen? And he will be with you always. Amen. God bless you.